The time is now. Volume 5, Episode 89. This is Employment Law Now. I am your host, Mike Schmidt, as always, Vice Chair of Labor and Employment Department as well here at Cozen O'Connor. Slowly but surely, our federal agencies out of Washington, D.C. are speaking up and speaking out about COVID-19. There's been a lot of clamoring over the course of 2020 because we hadn't heard really a whole heck of a lot from OSHA. We did hear some at the end of the year, as you know from this podcast, from the EEOC. Uh, The Department of Labor made some pronouncements uh, over the course of the year, but OSHA had been relatively quiet. Well, OSHA has finally spoken and has started the year off with some new COVID-19 guidance. What has OSHA said? What has OSHA not said, and can we expect more as we continue through 2021? I am going to be bringing back my esteemed partner at Cozen O'Connor, John Ho, who is in our Labor and Employment Department and also is the chair of our OSHA practice. John, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm sure you've been real busy. I have. Thanks for having me, Mike. Obviously, with these new uh, new OSHA developments, it's certainly keeping me on my toes. That's for sure. That's uh, it's very true. Um, and we were all been wondering, you know, where OSHA's been. So I'm glad uh, glad OSHA's finally come out uh, with something, so we can talk about something with them. We've been talking about all these other agencies. Um, just to give a little context, I guess, on that point, we didn't see any real significant COVID-19 standards or guidance from OSHA in all of 2020 as we've been going through this COVID-19 pandemic, despite a lot of people clamoring for them to say something. Any thoughts on why we're seeing this new OSHA guidance now? Sure, Mike. Look, I mean, I, I certainly agree with you that a lot of folks have, to use your words, clamor that OSHA hasn't been doing enough. I mean, obviously those groups, you know, tend to be the worker advocate groups and the unions and even saying things like, you know, OSHA has been sitting on the sidelines. And, you know, as you mentioned, obviously in 2020, OSHA did not publish emergency temporary standards. But but I would argue, though, not that my former employer needs my protection, but um, that OSHA really hasn't been sitting on the sidelines, right? They published you know, you know, a, a number of guidance for employers. They they published a bunch of industry specific guidance. So, um, you know, I, I think they they've been very active. It's been an, an evolving process, like it has been for everybody, including the CDC and the EEOC as well. So, I don't think it's entirely fair to say they haven't been doing anything. But to answer your question, I think we've got to maybe roll back, you know, the, the clock a little bit and sort of talk about how we got here. And, and that's to say, look, that the, the former Secretary of Labor, Eugene Scalia, made clear early on in the pandemic that he did not think emergency temporary standards were necessary. 
he said, look, OSHA's got enough. We've got something called the general duty clause. And we've, you know, always had the general duty clause. And so if there's not a specific standard uh, at play, then OSHA can use as an incite, as a citation tool, the general duty clause. And he believed that that was sufficient to ensure that employers would do what they can to provide, you know, workplace safe from COVID-19. Um, then as you mentioned, you know, throughout the months, uh, OSHA got this backlash, even where unions filed lawsuits against OSHA to try to compel them to publish emergency temporary standards, which essentially have all failed. Um, I think it's also clear to say that this administration and this president has closer union ties, and it's probably much more sensitive to what the unions are saying OSHA is not doing enough. And so when Biden first came into office almost immediately, he issued, you know, somewhat expectedly, an executive order to OSHA, compelling them to do, among other things, issue revised COVID guidance. So this new guidance that we just saw OSHA publish on Friday, of course, is a direct result from that executive order. So you mentioned a moment ago emergency temporary standards and, and the general duty clause. I guess the general duty clause uh, has been treated, if it wasn't intended to be this, uh, almost like a catch-all to get applied to claims that workplaces are not safe, it's not a healthy work environment, and that's been applied to COVID-19 issues as well? Yes, right. Exactly, Mike. And catch-all is a great way to describe it. Um, what the general duty clause basically says is that each employer shall furnish an employment free from recognized hazards that are likely to cause death or serious injury or illness. And uh, for certain, uh, OSHA, you know, has stated that COVID-19 is clearly a recognized hazard. But again, I mean, it's a catch-all. So if there's not a specific emergency standard or otherwise or a permanent standard, then OSHA can use that. And look, historically, OSHA has cited employers under the general duty for things like heat stress, or workplace violence or ergonomics, obviously all serious issues where uh, there haven't been permanent standards. And so that has been used and, and that has been used uh, right, for COVID issues as well. And so for those who are not as familiar with OSHA uh, or its processes, when you refer to emergency temporary standards, what is that and, and what's the purpose of them? Well, you know, the, the, the permanent standards are, are the standards that are sort of on the books right now, right? Whether it's PPE, asbestos, uh, fall protection, all of those, all of those things. They, they can go through normal rulemaking, public comments. Uh, OSHA has the authority if it deems it necessary to pass emergency temporary standards where it can essentially just to, uh, on a very broad level um, get there quickly enough because there's not enough time for them to go through the normal, the normal process. So if OSHA deems that that's appropriate, then they can issue temporary emergency standards. I think the last time OSHA did that was uh, maybe in the 80s with asbestos, and they, they, those emergency standards were actually overturned by, I believe it was the Fifth Circuit. So they don't do it a lot, but they have the authority to do it. And clearly, you know, COVID-19 is a very unusual and obviously very serious threat where, you know, now they're by direction of the president considering whether that's appropriate. And I love the title of the new guidance that came out last week. It sort of sort of hits like all the buzzwords in one sentence. It's called Protecting Workers, Guidance on Mitigating and Preventing the Spread of COVID-19 in the Workplace. So you sort of hit it all with this one, uh, this one title to this guidance. Walk us through, if you can, John, and break down maybe some of the high points of this new guidance and what the individual provisions mean for employers. 
Sure, Mike. And, and look, I, you know, let me just say this. And I, I don't think this guidance, although it's certainly compre- more comprehensive than maybe some prior OSHA guidance, is anything we, it's not something, there's nothing in it that we haven't heard before at some level, right? Whether it's prior OSHA guidance, whether it's CDC recommendations, whether it's various executive orders by governors requiring employees to wear masks and, and people coming into restaurants wearing masks. I mean, I think all of this stuff is already out there. So hopefully most employers are going to be familiar with it. Again, you know, some of the issues and the revised guidance are, you know, a little bit more comprehensive, but essentially what the new guidance does is it, it, it tells employers that, look, the best way in these are, you know, OSHA's words, the most effective way to mitigate the spread of COVID-19 is by implementing a workplace COVID-19 prevention program. Right. And then the guidance really spends the majority of its time discussing what is an effective prevention program. And so I can sort of at a high level, you know, to your question, just, you know, go through some of these broad categories, right? They want to see a workplace coordinator in your prevention program that's responsible for all of these COVID-19 issues. They want employers to do a hazard assessment, right, based on what the employee's job duties are to determine, you know, when and where employees can can be exposed to COVID-19. And and not surprisingly, as OSHA always wants, they want to see employee involvement or union involvement in that hazard assessment because they think that, and I think rightfully so, the employers are going to be much more sensitive and be able to point out um, and really help the employer design something that's effective. Uh, they want to see implementation of and combination of measures to, you know, abate the COVID-19 and based on a hierarchy of controls, both administrative and engineering controls. Um, there's some discussion in there about giving special considerations for uh, older workers or those with underlying medical conditions as accommodations, since they obviously going to be much more susceptible to a serious, you know, illness or you know potentially even a fatality if they contract it. Um, OSHA emphasizes uh, in the guidance they want to see, you know, a, an effective communication system with with employees, right, and one that is not just in English, if you've got a workforce with, uh, with folks that are speaking Spanish or Chinese or whatever it may be, they want to make sure that employers are aware that that communication system has to address those language issues. Um, and, and again, you know, this is nothing new, but they also go into, you know, policies to instruct that, you know, workers who are infected that are potentially infected to stay home, you know, to quarantine following the CDC evolving guidelines. But they also want to make sure that these policies minimize the negative impact of a quarantine or isolation on, on workers. Again, they reemphasize enhanced cleaning and disinfection after people have been exposed or or are affected in the in the workplace. There's some, you know, increased uh, suggestions on ventilation systems, which has been uh, uh, last couple of months, I think there's been some more materials on the way a ventilation system can help uh, minimize exposure to COVID-19. So they talked about that. You know, they restate some general principles that when employers should re- record uh, COVID-19 exposure as a work-related uh, illness, and also when they have to affirmatively report it to OSHA when there's a death or a hospitalization due to COVID-19. Um, and they again, they talk about PPE, not, not surprisingly. So again, all of these things, Mike, that I know that you're aware of, I think, again, most most of the employers are aware of doing these things like the disinfecting, this social distancing, um, 
And I will say that one area where they may be pushed a little bit harder is in the area of face coverings, which of course is, you know, it became a political issue, strangely enough, but you know, OSHA has historically taken the position that, you know, face coverings weren't really to protect the wearer, right? They were called source control. So it was to protect someone who was infected, maybe asymptomatic or symptomatic for that matter, from spreading it. Here, OSHA has, you know, acknowledged that there is, and pointing to the CDC, there's some benefit even to the wearer, right? So now in this revised guidance, they're suggesting that all employers provide face coverings of a certain type. It's got to be two layers, no ventilation systems. Again, all things that we've heard the CDC say, um, and it should be done at no cost to the employees. So they push a little bit there. Yeah, and, and what's interesting, and you alluded to this, I, I found interesting right up front, sort of up front, uh, OSHA says, quote, this guidance is not a standard or regulation, and it creates no new legal obligations. Uh, essentially, it contains recommendations and information for uh, for businesses. Is there any kind of teeth to something like this? I mean, is, what happens if businesses don't comply with these guidelines or with these recommendations, as OSHA's calling them? Right, right. And, and look, again, I think even when OSHA published the revised guidelines, it, it, one of the um, the top uh, folks over at the agency said, we don't enforce guidance, right? And that's true, right? So OSHA cannot come to you and point to the guidance and say, well, you didn't do this or you didn't do that. Here's a citation. But, but again, the enforcement tool that we had discussed at the beginning, you know, the podcast is the general duty clause, right? So it's not that OSHA can say, well, you didn't provide mass or you, you're definitely going to get a citation, but sort of the totality, are you providing a workplace free from recognized hazards? And so an employer would be, you know, at its own pearl if it just ignored all of these things and said, I don't care, you can't cite me for it. Well, maybe you can't get cited for one or two things, but if you, if you fail to do enough, you could certainly get a general general duty citation. But But again, I think, you know, that is certainly part of what the union advocates and the unions were, you know, were saying is like, we need more teeth we need specific standards. So, you know, we'll see. And it's interesting. I mean, putting aside then whether there's any teeth from an OSHA standpoint, certainly one of the hot topics has been the issue of injury lawsuits and, and the ability of employees or groups of employees to bring lawsuits against companies outside the workers' compensation uh, arena, which in many states, and it does differ state to state, requires something more than just negligence, something, you know, intentional or reckless or grossly negligent. And I suppose if you've got however many pages this guidance is, if you've got a, a bunch of pages talking about best practices, for lack of a better term, uh, it, for employers to just simply ignore these best practices, uh, as you said, may uh, be at their own peril for those who will argue that they were grossly negligent or, or worse in doing so. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a fair point, Mike. Um, you know, that being said, look, you know, to be blunt, I mean, that, that situation has always been around with OSHA, right? I mean, sometimes when people get themselves into OSHA citations, if they're concentrating too much on just the, the OSHA issue, you could, you know, sort of lose sight of what even could potentially be greater liability, which is all of these third-party lawsuits or gross negligence, and if it's employees trying to get them out of workers' comp. Uh, but but I think, you know, to your point, you know, absolutely, right? I mean, if you've got guidance out there that says you should do A, B, or C, and you don't, is, could that be evidence to try to avoid workers' comp? You know, you know definitely. 
And a big topic lately uh, has been vaccines and the ability of employers to mandate vaccines. The EEOC uh, certainly spoke on this issue back in December. Uh, does OSHA at all speak to the vaccine issue in this guidance, or do we expect to hear something further on the vaccine issue from them? Yep, actually, the, uh, this revised guidance does address vaccines. Not a whole lot of information about it, Mike, but a little bit. And what it says is, look, employers should make the COVID-19 vaccine or vaccination serious, as I think most of them require two shots, uh, available at no cost to all el eligible employees. And I suspect what they mean eligible is just depending on the phase level of how the vaccines are being rolled out. So, so yes, I mean, I think that's, um, you know, I believe this is the first time that OSHA's had an opportunity to address the vaccine issue, given how still somewhat new it, it is to all of us. And it also goes on to talk about in its prevention program, even if folks get vaccinated, and, and of course, hopefully as more and more of us get vaccinated, OSHA doesn't want us, want employers to distinguish between workers who are vaccinated and those who are not in terms of, you know, following safety protocols, right? So just because you get vaccination doesn't mean you can now give group hugs to everybody. You should still, right, still wear the mask, still practice the social distancing. And, and their OSHA's justification is that we just don't have enough evidence yet whether vaccinated folks, you know, can or really cannot, you know, continue to spread the virus. So until we've got some some science behind that, so to speak, use the president's, you know, term science-based approach, um, you know, we want to still have them, those vaccinated folks, still comply with all the safety protocols that we otherwise have. Is, is OSHA, and, and you've got a great perspective on this because you were uh, with the Department of Labor uh, for a number of years, is OSHA one of those federal agencies that, that tends to have its policy and initiatives shift with the political winds like we talk about with other agencies, whether it's the NLRB or the Department of Labor or the EEOC? Is, is OSHA uh, like that as well? I mean, I I have to say yes, but to an extent, right? I mean, I I certainly don't think, you know, to the extent that the NLRB, you know, you know, has historically, and we've seen what's in the news, you know, lately with them. Um, but but certainly, I mean, there are there have been issues like ergonomics that have come up that you know one administration wants to take on, and then another administration does not. Um, so, so I think it's, and look, I think even in the COVID approach that we just talked about, the former administration didn't want to consider emergency temporary, you know, standards. And now this one clearly seems like it wants to, um, but, but let me sort of put it in three large buckets, Mike, I think OSHA does its job three different ways, right? I mean, it can call on employers to voluntarily comply and to do that. They publish things like guidance where again, it doesn't have the force of law, but it's all in the, in the in the vein of helping employers understand what they can do to make themselves a safe workplace. And then they really rely on the employers to get themselves into compliance with some of this authority. The second is enforcement, right? Having actual auditors go out there and inspect you and issue citations if necessary. And then the third is, you know, in implementing more stringent or more regulations. I, I think it's fair to say that in Trump's administration, he essentially punted on the new regulations. I mean, he even had a two for one rule, right? Where if you wanted to pass a regulation, you got to withdraw to. So, um, and really focused on the voluntary compliance. I think this administration and the history is any indication, you know, a democratic, you know, administration is going to focus more on passing more stringent regulations and more regulations, kick back the voluntary compliance, the last of the list out of the three buckets, right? The voluntary compliance, the, enforcement and the 
and the passing of the regulations. So I think we'll see a flip-flop. I think so. You know, like I said, the voluntary compliance probably goes to the back of the list and comes to the front of the class, more stricter regulations. And so for those also not as familiar with the uh, OSHA process, uh, do employers tend to get introduced to OSHA through a complaint that an employee or a former employee may bring? Or can OSHA randomly, uh, you know, knock on the door of a business and, and either do inspections or ask questions? How does OSHA get introduced to a particular business? Sure. I mean, I think, you know, it can be really all of the above. But I think from a practical standpoint, I mean, look, OSHA's got a lot of ground to cover, right? Um, and so, uh, and we'll see if this administration increases their budget and increases, you know, some, you know, uh, takes away hiring freezes and puts more boots on the ground, so to speak. And so, if, you know, if they, if that happens, obviously the chances of an inspection, you know, will, you know, potentially increase. But, but I think for the most part, right, most of your investigations are initiated because either an employee complaint about safety or there was an injury that had to be reported, right? I mean, you have to report certain affirmative injuries, like I mentioned, fatalities and hospitalizations to OSHA where that you get an audit that way. But there are also high targeted industries, high risk industries that you can see OSHA, you know, come knocking through that way. As a matter of fact, Mike, uh, you know, coming back to COVID specifically, uh, the executive order that gave rise to the revised guidance also asked, you know, OSHA to determine the necessity, you know, of a, you know, of a, a national program in which, you know, certain industries, maybe like food manufacturing uh, with higher instances of COVID-19 exposures may be targeted, right? So, so I think you're going to see it from all, all different ways. But again, I think primarily you see it because there's, there's been an accident on the work site. OSHA finds out about it, again, either through an employee complaint, a safety practice, or that affirmative reporting. And that's just, I think, a reflection of the limited resources that they have and the ground that they have to cover. So what can we expect uh, as we continue on through 2021? Uh, should businesses expect to hear more from OSHA specifically on COVID-19 issues this year? Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the, the executive order that, we're, that we've been talking about, you know, as I mentioned, also specifically said to OSHA, consider whether, you know, emergency temporary standards are needed. And if so, I think the deadline is March 15th for them to implement that. You know, whether that gets extended, we'll see. In a press conference, when the rest, when these revised uh, regs got issued, uh, you know, a, a high-level DOL person said, you know, there's no timeline for that, but but they're taking a look at that order in the in, from the president's executive order. But look, if I was a betting man and I placed a bet or two of my time, I, I would bet that we would probably see emergency temporary standards, given that you know Biden's history with with unions, what we've seen so far in the executive order, obviously what those emergency temporary standards state specifically, you know, obviously that's a little bit uncertain. I think the revised guidance on the vaccines, the, the, the mask issue that we just talked about certainly is a little foreshadowing some of the other things that we just talked about. And again, nothing really new here, but the social distancing, the engineering controls, the hazard assessment, I think we'll all maybe get parts of, um, uh, Virginia actually, Mike was the first state to actually, past permanent COVID-19 safety standards. Actually, I believe their effective date was January 27th. Um, those have been, I think, in what I've seen widely praised as a very good effort by both 
by unions and worker advocate groups. So I think to the extent we're going to guess that Virginia model may be a good foundation, the basis on which uh, federal OSHA that determines that such standards are needed, we'll probably look to. So if folks are want to get ahead of that game, you can probably Google what those look like. There's, again, the different kinds of requirements, but that might be a good basis. And we've seen, again, a little bit of that in the revised guidance that just came out from OSHA sort of predicting some of those areas. But absolutely, they're going to get a much more active um, OSHA in this administration with COVID. And as I mentioned, one of the things they talked about was stressing anti-retaliation policies and actually even suggesting that employers not only be cognizant of that fact, but even set up anonymous protocols, such as a hotline, so employees can make those complaints. Uh, you know, it's not going to surprise anyone, but most agencies and OSHA's no different. Their anti-retaliation programs are very important to them. Obviously, that's how they, they find out about a lot of these concerns, and so they do want to ensure that employees are very aware of that. So uh, for those for those reasons, uh, yeah, I think we're going to have uh, – uh, a busy year with Ocean, probably a busy four years. We'll have to see who gets the the, the top post, but um, you know, we expect uh, OSHA to to speak in 2021. Still more uh, across the board uh, in terms of the guidance or uh, standards that it's uh, creating, or do we think that they may come out with some industry specific? Uh, guidance? Well, it, you know, that's a good question. Look, there, you know, as I mentioned, they've already have a bunch of industry specific guidance, whether it's, you know, you know, hospitality, taxi cab drivers, construction, manufacturing. I mean, there's, there's that already. Um, you know, OSHA does have standards that are applicable specifically to construction and then general industry. You know, if the emergency standards breaks it down by by industries, I would be surprised. I, I, I don't think that they're going to go that far, um, you know, but, but I think the, the, the general, uh, you know, any emergency standards that are applied will be, will be broader. Um, I, I can't, and whether they continue to, to update their um, industry-specific guidance, I, I think so, right? As the, the more we know, I don't know, obviously, I don't think anybody knows yet how these, uh, these um, different strands of the COVID-19 that seem to be popping up. I mean, will that affect, you know, exposure? Will that affect, you know, will that affect inspection rates? And even when OSHA published this guidance, they said, look, this is an evolution, right? This is going to be ever changing. As we learn about it, we'll publish more. So, you know, keep your eye on, I think, more general, you know, emergency temporary standards. And I think with specific industry guidance, we'll just be seeing updates and maybe, you know, maybe some implementation of general, you know, industry-specific guidance that we haven't seen already. But again, they've they've got a pretty good list already of things they publish for folks in different industries. So we'll keep an eye on that for sure. And you mentioned Virginia. Do you expect more um, state initiatives in this area? Certainly, uh, California OSHA. Without you know, we could spend a whole hour on California, but California right. OSHA has been active recently, and as you just said, Virginia. Uh, has become the first state to come out with permanent standards. Do you expect that to to be uh, um, what we're going to see in 2021 as well on the state level? And I assume that means that state OSHA action is not preempted by federal OSHA. Right. So, um, you know, so like Cal OSHA, you know, there's, I think, 22 states and jurisdictions that have their own called state law plans, right, where they've said, look, we'll take care of our own safety and health issues and 
Cal OSHA in the, in the People's Republic of California is, like you said, is one of those states that does that. Um, and, and the rules are for those states who have their own state law plans, their actions, not just COVID, but all of their standards have to be at least as protective as federal OSHA, right? So if they agree to do that and, and OSHA can monitor that to ensure that they're doing it, I think it's safe to say that Cal OSHA, as you point out, like certainly, you know, generally is going much more stringent requirements uh, than the federal OSHA, certainly in, in a lot of areas, maybe not, not all. Um, but look, I mean, part of the reason why unions sued OSHA and, and, and you know, to do the emergency standards because they felt it was necessary, but also part of the reasons why some of the states passed these emergency regulations, and again, Virginia, the first one going permanent, is citing to the fact that they think OSHA hasn't done enough. So in theory, you would think, okay, now you have a federal OSHA that's passing temporary emergency standards. Is it really necessary for other states to do this? Because now OSHA is doing what a lot of these groups are, you know, crying should have been done, you know, months ago. So it's so in some sense, you would think actually it would lessen the possibility that you'd have additional state measures because now OSHA sort of stepped its game up, if you will, and is doing doing these. Um, but we'll see. And, and look, and, and of course, I mean, um, hopefully it's not a wild card, Mike, but obviously as vaccines roll out, I mean, are we, you know, closer to the end of this? If not, I mean, I think depending on the state, maybe, you know, they're going to, you know, uh, sort of analyze that that issue as well. So that, that one's a little tougher to say, but, I, you know, I think those are the issues that sort of come to my mind when you ask the question. Absolutely. Uh, John Ho, the great colleague here, my cousin O'Connor and the chair of our OSHA practice. Uh, for those people who do not want to wait until I bring you back on the podcast to hear more about OSHA and what is going on, uh, tell us about your OSHA blog and where can people find it? Thanks, Mike. Yep, uh, Cozen, we run an OSHA blog here, OSHAchronicle.com. So uh, we welcome, you know, subscribers, try to keep up on all things safety and health and even a couple of things that are, are, are you know, corollary to those issues. So I, again, welcome anyone that uh, wants to subscribe. OSHAchronicle.com. And uh, for those who thought we weren't hearing enough from OSHA in 2020, I suspect you're right. We will be hearing a lot more uh, from federal OSHA and perhaps uh, from some other states on these issues as well. John, always great talking about this stuff with you. And uh, we'll definitely have you back on as we get more developments here. Okay. Thanks, Mike. I look forward to the jingle as we spin ourselves out of your podcast. Appreciate it. <laughs> thanks, John. Well, we will see what else OSHA has in store for us come March, as well as as the, uh, the, the later months progress in 2021. I hope you found that useful. Thank you so much for listening. And until the next time, I hope all of your labor is productive.